Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Getting to Know You podcast. I'm coming to you from Marquette, Michigan, and from St. Paul's Episcopal Church. I just arrived in the Upper Peninsula a few months ago and have been wanting to get to know people both in the community and in the Episcopal churches in Marquette County. So my idea for this podcast is to have conversations with folks in the churches and in the towns in Marquette County to get to know them, to find out what they are interested in, to hear their story. Story is so essential to me because everyone is part of the tapestry that's unfolding. This amazing adventure of life, every person is important. Every person has their part to play. And for me, it is so inviting to life itself to listen to other people's stories. So I hope that you enjoy the episodes that come through this podcast and that you would be inspired, maybe, perhaps, to live a little bit more into your own story and to be curious about others' journey. So I hope you enjoy this Getting to Know You podcast. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to the first edition, the first segment of Getting to Know You. I'm Marna Franson, and I am the new missioner at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. Today, I'm here with Mary Sullivan. She's been at St. Paul's for a while, and she wears a lot of hats. And the hat that I've been most involved with is with her is as the chairperson of the outreach committee. And we're going to get there by the end of the time that we talk together. But let's get to know Mary a little bit. And then I'm going to ask her about the projects in which she is involved in. So Mary, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. And thanks for being my guinea pig. We're going to just make this. Happen. <laughs> so, Mary, where were you born and raised? Uh, yeah, I was born and raised downstate in Grand Rapids. And how, how did you get here to Marquette? Well, my former husband and I had always actually had an initial uh, ambition to homestead in Alaska, but reason won out. And uh, so we moved to the UP. We lived, after we got married, we lived in Grand Rapids for four years, and then we moved up here in 1978. Mm -hmm. So you've been here since 1978. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what keeps you in the UP? What keeps you in Marquette? Oh boy. It's, it's, well, it's the beauty of, of the environment and uh, the fact that, you know, in 10 minutes I can be at Lake Superior in a couple of hours, I can be up in the Keweenaw Peninsula or in the Porcupine Mountains. It's, it's, it's all about the environment. I like winter. I like summer up here too. Uh, so it's, I, it's a wonderful place to live. I like that, um, well, not know, not now, but uh, before COVID, when I went to the grocery store, it would take me a long time to shop because I'd run into so many people that I knew. And so that's, that was a social time. And 
you know, you know your neighbors. If you don't know somebody, then you know somebody who knows that person. And I really like that. Yeah. So you like the connection and and yeah. it's like a small town feel, but in a big area that you can enjoy nature and all that. Okay, so tell me what you love about the winter because I'm just getting used to the winter. <laughs> I just really like a good snowstorm. You know, sitting and watching the snow come down and uh, I have a lot of pine trees in my backyard and when they load up with snow and then the wind comes through and the snow just push off the trees, uh, it's just beautiful. It's just, and one thing I noticed when, when we first moved up here is that really winter up here is it, there's a lot of sunshine. There's a lot of blue skies. Down in Western Michigan, winter was very dark and gray. Mm. Um, winter is pretty up here. Yeah, I noticed that today. There's a lot of blue sky and the sun was really sparkling off the, yeah. off yeah. the snow. I've also noticed, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's more than one kind of snow up here. It, oh yeah. And snow comes down, it has a different texture, a different feel. It looks a little different. Am I just imagining this or is it true? Oh, no. It, uh, in fact, I had a discussion with a friend because um, I say we had a dusting of snow, which means there wasn't very much snow and you could clean it off with a broom. Now, then I would say, well, we had a skiff of snow overnight. A skiff of snow is a little icier. And if you want to clear your deck or whatever, you have to get the shovel out. He said, what's the, what's the difference between a dusting and a skip? Yeah, so, well, um, yeah. probably a whole vocabulary that we don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, tell me about St. Paul's. How did you get to St. Paul's? Or were you, have you been at St. Paul's since you moved here? What? Yeah. No. no, I started uh, coming to St. Paul's uh, about 2000, about that year. My background is that I was raised in a Protestant church, in the uh, Congregational Church. And when I graduated from high school, I graduated from going to church. Uh And so 2000, I'm I'm in my 50s, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I have a family, and I have a career, and I, and there was just that, what's called what, the the third leg of the stool wasn't there. Uh And so I did a church search, went to a couple different churches, had always been curious about the Episcopal Church. What are they, what are they all about? And uh, really, really connected with it very strongly right away. Do you know what it was that connected you? Do you know what it was that, that made it seem like? You know, it's kind of a funny thing because I, I sat down in the pew and the wood creaked. And I said, I'm home. I don't know why it just it was this physical feeling and then I you know to put my head to it uh I like the liturgy I like the ritual I like the mysticism what I liked about it is I'd I'd you know I'd have discussions with people very friendly very inviting people and I say okay I get this I get Episcopalian and then a few days later I go oh wait I don't quite get this I, it, I, I kept thinking about it and turning it over and over in my head. And I, I'm still doing that with, with my faith. And I, I like that challenge of, um, oh, it's almost like a midrash, isn't it? What else could this mean? Why do we do it this way? Mm-hmm. Um, th- there, it's a richness there that I really appreciated. Wow. 
that's a great story. I love the story about sitting in the pew and having it creak and going, yeah. <laughs> like maybe it creaked a little because other people had sat there and you're sitting where they used no, to sit. It's an old church and it has a history. And, and when you sit in that church, yeah, I think you feel the people who have been there, not, not just the people you're there with that day, but the people who've been there before you maybe, yeah. Well, you're really involved at St. Paul's. Do you want to describe the different things that you do and how you eased your way into that first moment in the pew into what, where you are now in terms of involvement? Well, I think that one of the things that struck me, one of the many things that struck me about St. Paul's is that there were so many opportunities to get involved. And I think that's because it's a relatively small congregation. So not every place is filled and you get to know people quickly. And I just said, wow, there's a lot of opportunity here. And I was looking, when I was looking at churches, I wanted a church that had a strong social presence in the community, had a reputation for being present when people need to be present and doing good things. So that really appealed to me. Right, uh, right now I am a deacon and I, and I love that aspect. I love the idea that the deacon sets the table and helps feed people. Um, that really appeals to me. Quite involved in outreach. Yeah, that's just, that, that's been a very good fit for me. So for people who may not be Episcopalian and may not understand what a deacon does and what you mean by setting the table. Yeah, well, yeah. Explain that a little bit. What's a deacon and what is the setting the table and what does it have to do with being involved in the community? Yeah, well, uh, the deacon prepares the uh, table for the Eucharist, sets the table, uh, pours the wine, uh, helps distribute the bread. And so that's literally feeding people, feeding them. Obviously, it's not much wine, not much bread, but it, you're feeding them spiritually. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was intimidating for me was reading the gospel. And uh, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 it's not that I'm uncomfortable with public speaking or anything, but it just really made me nervous. And I have uh, three wonderful sister deacons and one, you know, they, they were very supportive. And I said, look, you're, you're just reading a story. Read it like you would read a story. And that, that helped me enjoy that part of what a deacon does. Yeah. It's really a wonderful moment in the service where it's not your words. It's not words that we've made up. It's just the story that we hear over and over and over again. And every week that we hear it, every year that we hear it, uh, because we're on that three-year cycle for what we hear, we come back to an old friend, but it's always new. And so I think maybe the sense of a deacon reading it makes so much sense because the deacon is meant to have one foot outside of the church in the community, in the social area, in the not social as an entertainment, but in the social as in what is happening in society, and then one foot in the church and translating the needs of the church to the, to the needs of the world, the social realm, to the church, and explaining what the church is to those that are outside. So 
I mean, I, and the gospel kind of stands in the middle, which is that story that none of us understand. Like we don't get it. We read it year after year after year, but we're still trying to figure it out. And it sounds like that's what you like about the church is that there's always room to figure things out. Yes. Yeah. And, and hearing different people do readings and, and what words they emphasize and, and the, the energy or the love or whatever they bring to it. You go, oh, okay. Uh, now I hear it through your voice and I appreciate that. Yeah, I can understand that. So outreach, talk about outreach. Outreach is one of those church words that we use, but if you were to explain outreach to somebody who you know, doesn't know church words, what would you say that it is? Well, I guess the church words are, you know, we are, we are gods, we are Christ's heart and hands in the world. And I think that that's important because it takes us out of the church walls and into the community and doing what Jesus called us to do and what we feel called to do. So what are some of those things that you feel like Jesus is calling us to do? Well, I, I guess, you know, the, the whole idea of, of feeding and clothing and being and, and standing, standing when you need to stand. And, you know, Marna, we've done that. Uh, we did that on Martin Luther King Day. And, and we did that when we rang the bells for those who died of COVID-19. And we've done that before. Uh, when, when George Floyd was murdered, we stood outside our church and said, you know, justice and peace and there is no peace until there's justice and i think people in the church need to to stand but you not only just stand you feed people like you realize that because i know all the things that you help the outreach committee <laughs> do right so you're very aware of all the different programs that need to be supported and so you not only just expect that we're going to stand and let it be different but I better be a part of this too. Like I have to, we need to be a part of that making of a difference. Am I seeing that clearly? Well, I think that that's, it's, it's tremendously satisfying to, to do work and, and see great things happen because people come together and don't just say, ain't it awful, but what can we do about it now? How do we put some action behind all of this? You know, what, what happened, I don't know, two, maybe two or three years ago, uh, as a diocese, we got some training in community organizing. And of course we brought all the things, all the community needs together in the room and discussion. And we saw the common thread for all the things that we were looking at, the, the elderly, the homeless, young children, students. The, the common thread was all of these people can experience and are experiencing hunger or food insecurity. So that kind of helped us focus on an issue that was a common thing for, for many groups of people. We started having discussions, you know, what is food insecurity? Why is it? How does it look in the UP? And that, that I think that was really important. Um, uh, one of the biggest problems we have with food insecurity in the UP, well, first of all, unemployment or seasonal, seasonal 
unemployment, but distribution. And, and you know, it's one thing to, to do a food distribution in a city, mm-hmm. but when people live in a rural location and may not have transportation, that's a whole different way of thinking about feeding people. Wow. So different, different challenges. Wow. Well, explain to us how you got involved in then Feeding America West Michigan, because that's what you were really involved in during the pandemic. Yeah, and that just kind of kind of came up for us because when we were talking about people being hungry, we also were talking about nutritional needs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, if you're on a very limited income or if you can only get to the grocery store once every two weeks or whatever, you can't always get fresh food. You can't always uh, be eating healthy. Mm-hmm. And I was I was familiar with Feeding America, and Feeding America West Michigan also serves the Upper Peninsula. And what they do with their mobile food deliveries is they provide people with produce, uh, vegetables, fruit, dairy, bakery. You know, if you've got a family with a a lot of kids, and especially if they're adolescents, you know, milk can be very expensive. And it's cheaper to buy sport drinks. I know. Yeah. And lemonade and things like that, you know, and, and of course, kids, they're not going to complain about that, but what they need is milk. So that's what really appealed to me about Feeding America is they uh, were bringing fresh food, healthy food to people. So describe what you decided to do, describe how it all unfolded and how much money you may was raised and how that all happened. Well, a couple of years ago, um, I had a discussion with our bishop, with Rayford Ray, and um, okay, so how, how are we going to do this? Well, I'm a trustee with the Family Foundation, the Emmy Davenport Foundation, and I said, how about we do this? The Emmy Davenport Foundation will give a $5,000 matching grant to, and to the diocese, the Episcopal Diocese of Northern Michigan, and you guys raised the other $5,000. So we easily, it, it was, it was what, what if we try this? What will happen? Well, it was a pretty easy goal, frankly. So we raised $10,000. So, so how did next, $5,000? Where did that, where did, how did okay, that? Okay, well, that, that went just to the Upper Peninsula. Okay. Okay, because typically if you make a donation to Feeding America West Michigan, they can put it anywhere they see the need. Right. But we said, no, we want this just in the UP. And we had some wonderful discussions with their CEO, Ken Estelle. And he was, he came up here and he talked with us and he drove around and he got it when we were saying, here are the, the unique challenges we face when we try to feed people. Mm-hmm. So they understood that. So then the next year, um, Rayford and I sat down and again, I said, now what if we gave, we got together a $10,000 match, the Davenport Foundation will put in, and I, I'll talk to a couple other foundation people I know, and then we'll open it up to the entire interfaith community in the Upper Peninsula. So my goal was $10,000 that time. We raised $50,000 in matching funds. It was just like, I, I mean, I would to me, it was jaw-dropping. Oh my I, I never expected that much. And then um, 
Bishop Ray assembled the other faith partners from the Roman Catholic Church and the Evangelical Lutheran Church, Methodists, uh, Temple Beth Shalom, Unitarian Universalists. He made his contacts and then we just spread the word. And uh, next thing we knew, we had raised another $50,000. So with a 50,000 match and making that match, we, to be honest with you, I don't know the final total, but I know we met that we raised at least $100,000. Wow, Mary, that's a huge number. That's a really huge number. Well, the other thing that that's because, you know, there are canathons and those are nice things. But when you give money to an organization, they have buying power. And so I can buy a can of ravioli for a dollar and it's a can of ravioli. That's all it is. If I give a dollar to Feeding America West Michigan because of their buying power, their gleaning power, their connections with large grocery stores like Walmart, Target, Meyer. that dollar becomes $4. I get that. So when we raised $100,000, we really raised $400,000. So what happened with that? Where was it spent? How did the money, how did the food get to people? Did, do you know anything about the distribution? Of okay, it did a couple of things because what Feeding America wanted to do primarily was have it, the money go toward those big trucks you see coming up here, their mobile distributions, because each truck costs about four to $5,000 to get up here. And where do they get parked and how does the distribution work? Okay, so they, they, have, they do some kind of distribution in every county in the Upper Peninsula. Their relationship with Baraga County and Houghton County is a little bit different. They don't do mobile distributions, but they do supply food for the food banks in those counties. So yeah, you go to their website, feedamerica.org, and you click on mobile pantry distribution schedule, and you see the whole state, their whole area comes up. And then you just scroll down, okay, what's, is anything going on in Chippewa County? Mm-hmm. When's it gonna happen? Where is it gonna be? That kind of stuff. So if I'm a hungry person and I click on the website and I find out that there's a distribution near me, what do I have to do to go get food? And that, that's where we get to the transportation issues. You have to come to the food. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've talked about a couple of different ways that we might be able to get around that. But yes, you do have to. So what that means is you have to have a vehicle. It has to be running and you have to have gas to put into. But once I get there, do I have to show any identification? Do I have to fill out any paperwork? Do I need to? And what do I get when I get there? Yeah, Uh, they do like uh, they want people to sign up just so they could keep numbers. They can say, we served a hundred families at this one distribution, but you don't have to show uh, proof of income. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I was having a discussion with a group and this woman's, she had knew someone, he had done some work for them. And she said, do you ever go to a food distribution? And he said, no, I can't get there. I don't have, you know, I can't get off work or it it doesn't work for me. And she said, do you mean that I could pick up a box of food and give it to him 
and yes. Wow. So I, that's another way I want to, we haven't really spread that word yet. So you're, you're right on the cutting edge here, Marna, because really I could go and get a box of food right. from a mobile food pantry. Right. And then I could take it to a person I know or a church that might want, like I say, if you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody who needs that food. Right. So that might be a way for us to get around that distribution problem or make it a little better. Right. And there's people in the community that don't have to necessarily belong to a church that no. have a day or half a day or whatever could go pick up a box and bring it to somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The distributions occur. It, it takes a pretty big parking lot, but they occur at churches. They occur at school parking lots sometimes. Any, any community, they you know, the community has to identify a place where they can accommodate anywhere from 100 to 300 vehicles right now, because that's the way it has to be done. Yeah. You know, you drive, you park, you pop your trunk, someone puts a box of food in there. Well, that's easy. You drive, you drive in, you pop your trunk and somebody puts food in. That's, that is easy. And like you said, healthy food really goes a long way when somebody's hungry. So do you have any any idea about the rate of food insecurity or the pockets of food insecurity in the Upper Peninsula? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but yeah, yeah, because I, I it's in a folder somewhere, Marty. Um, it is, you know, it is worse in the Upper Peninsula than it is in other areas of the state because our poverty is worse up here. It is worse with children in general. More children are living with food insecurity than adults. And that's what's been really troubling about the COVID restrictions is that children and families have come to rely on schools to provide breakfast and lunch. Right, and has that, there been any feeding programs that have taken over, that have? Uh, some schools have been, at, you know, I, I don't have a real good knowledge of what schools are doing what, Right. Uh, I know that some schools, at least maybe three days a week, will provide lunch, a sack lunch or something. Yeah, but, but that's not like breakfast and lunch every day, is it? For no, and then again, the kids have to get there. Right. So yeah. we're looking at transportation. So, yeah. um, but I know some wonderful people, uh, 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 Teresa Vincent in the Gwyn area, who is, is a feeder of people, and she knows. Mm -hmm. And when she hasn't seen kids come to the school to get their sack lunch, she goes to their house and takes them food. So it, it's, a, it's a wonderful network of people out there. Yeah, you know a lot of people, don't you, Mary, by now? Like not only the people you run into the grocery store, but like-minded people that have been doing this kind of work all over the Upper Peninsula. There are so many good people out there doing, and, and they may think, well, I, you know, I'm just helping out at this one school, but it's a whole network that goes out and you know it, it it's it's exciting it's well great. it sounds to me like you're the you're the epitome of that um license not license plate bumper sticker that says think globally act locally that we oh, yeah like you're looking at the big picture food insecurity is the big picture but what is the local response that's needed and then having conversations and saying how can we do this i think you're constantly asking that question how can we this is what yeah. needs to be done. How can we do this? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a deacon. I think that that's a deacon thing. 
I think that's okay. Then I'm in the right place. (laughs) Okay, so I want to ask you one question, and I told you this question was coming because you do belong to an Episcopal church and you could belong to any church. You could do any kind of faith community that third, I love what you said, that third um, leg of the stool. Why are you an Episcopalian? Why not something else? Why the Episcopal church for you? Well, I think, as I said, it, it seemed to meet that spiritual need, that spiritual void in my life. And I like that we have ritual. And I, I like that, you know, we get together with, with, with what we call the formation groups and, and well, what do you think? And what, what does this mean to you? And what else could it mean? And, and not being told what the rules are being told what the principles are and how do you make that active in your life? I think, I think for me, the Episcopal church is very challenging in that way. And, and so many resources, so many things are going on. You know, frankly, there are times I'm just really, really proud to be associated with the Episcopal church. It's a, it's a group of wonderful people doing wonderful things. Wow. I look at it. Wow. Yeah. And when you're, well, you're one of those people, first of all. And also, I think that's true. We aren't in the Episcopal Church. I I love the Episcopal Church for some of the same reasons, which is that it's a challenge. It is not simple, right? Right. Right. Simple, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's not an easy thing. And, And some, you know, there's newcomers like me. I love that phrase, cradle Episcopalian. I never heard that till I got in the church. Uh, who, who I didn't come up that way. There are people who are more conservative about the Episcopal faith, more people who may identify more with progressive, but we all like to talk with each other about it. That's what I find. It's just, well, I don't see it that way, but I, it's interesting for me to hear you. Mm-hmm. say it that way it's a place of conversation yeah yeah lots of variation okay so do you have any words of wisdom anything that you'd like to anything like okay so this is getting to know you right so what if i were you know if i were going to have my first pretend this is our first cup of tea together it's not but pretend it is what would you most want me to know about you and as what would you most want me to know about I know that's hard. Oh, that's really hard, Marna. So we I was thinking about that, and I not just today. You know, I grew up, and I am well aware that I grew up in a life of privilege. Okay, mm-hmm. my family had money. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't want, you know. I mean, my parents were reasonable. I mean, they they went through the depression. They both were raised on farms. But if we wanted piano lessons, we had piano lessons. Mm -hmm. We were, it it was sort of expected. Yeah, you'll go to college and yeah, we'll pay for it. Mm -hmm. And um, I did not grow up in a home that was abusive. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just, I was lucky. And I feel a sense of privilege white privilege, frankly, economic privilege. But my parents also raised us because we have so much, Mm -hmm. you need to give much. And they set that example. Mm 
my parents were on boards. They they did work in the community. So I was just kind of raised that way. You know, I give because I can give. And I give because frankly, it feels good. Right. I see it even out some of the injustices yeah. that I see in society. And I can't I can't do the big things, but you know, I can help people get good food. Yeah. That's no small thing to think about to help people get good food. Well, Mary, thank you. I think we could talk for a long time. Um, and <laughs> I love getting to know you, Marna. This is really fun. You've brought a lot of energy and creativity to us. Well, and, we're uh, going to keep doing this. And one of the things I'm going to have you do, and you don't have to tell me now, but I think I've just decided this, that whoever I talk to gets to nominate some other people for me to talk to. Oh, yeah. So you don't have to say it now, but I'm going to ask you to think about it and nominate someone else that I can get into conversation with when I'm getting to know St. Paul's, getting to know Marquette, getting to know the Upper Peninsula, getting to know the whole area and, and what you all are and do. So you get to go home and with your homework and let me know. Okay, I, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. That would be real fun. So, okay, everybody, this is was getting to know you. First episode, first, what is it? Podcast episode, I guess they call it that. We are learning how to do this and we're learning how to get to know one another. And I've been here with Mary Sullivan. And next time, I don't know who it'll be, but Mary's going to help me figure that out. So thank you, everybody. And until next time.